hundreds of thousands hold their breath on Merseyside. It's Xabi Alonso for three, three is saved, and Alonso follows it in! It's wonderful! It's marvellous! It's 3-3 in the European Cup final! And welcome along, this is the Red Agenda. The definitive podcast for Liverpool fans all over the world, wherever you may be. Each and every week, myself, Steve Hoversall, alongside the Athletics' dedicated Liverpool writers, James Pearce and Simon Hughes, will bring you reaction, analysis and some in-depth insight, hopefully, into Liverpool Football Club. Now, this podcast is one of 11 shows being launched by The Athletic this week. Amongst those is the Ornstein and Chapman show, where Mark Chapman and David Ornstein uh, delve deep into some of the uh, bigger stories in football. To hear that and many more, go to theathletic.com now and subscribe with a 40% discount by using the code UK pod cracking deal. Uh, let's welcome James Pierce. Hiya, James. Hi, Steve. You okay? Uh, it's a shame on, on day one of our podcast, Simon Hughes is, is globe trotting. He's embarking on a, a fantastic Liverpool journey uh, somewhere in the world. It culminates in Egypt. So I think we know there's a, a Mo Salah link there. I, I, don't, I don't think we're at liberty to say what it is yet. Uh, <laughs> Top did, secret mission. Yeah. Did, did he get the um, the rub of the green there with that trip? Yeah, he didn't even tell me it was happening until he booked it. So yeah, yeah. He, uh, he, he likes collecting those miles. Uh, so James Pierce, of course, for many years covered Liverpool Football Club. He's got some brilliant insights and, and links in, uh, and myself as well. In fact, our, our careers have sort of combined. I've done the commentary for a good few decades on it as well. So um, myself and James had a very late night last night. In fact, James's was later than mine. I, I ducked out slightly early, but late on my account. Uh, and we were fortunate enough to be in the company of, um, of two of world football's great characters, Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola. Explain a bit more, James. <laughs> yeah, it was a great night, wasn't it? With the uh, the Football Writers Association mm. uh, awards dinner over in uh, in Manchester, and uh, yeah, Klopp and Guardiola both on the on the top table, both up on the stage. Yeah, and it was it was fascinating to see them, wasn't it? You know, I, d- I think it was intriguing to see the dynamic between yeah. the two, and I think that was what most people in the room were checking out. They were on a table with lots of other managers, you yeah. know, like Ryan Lowe of Plymouth and Mickey Mellon of Tranmere, but. Two big hitters, and I think we all wonder what is the relationship like behind the scenes. <laughs> and it, yeah, I think you're right. I think a lot of people had one eye o- over on that table and say, you know, what what was it going to be? They're going to be chatting with it, you know. And I think for the first part of it, you know, obviously they were separated by Andy Dunn, who was the the host for the evening from mm. the Mirror, and I think it was it was Klopp actually who kind of broke the the silence when uh, obviously on the big screen we were watching uh, Manchester City's successes of last season and. Uh, I think it was when the when when company's goal went in against against Leicester, and you could see that Klopp had, had kind of tapped Guardiola on the arm, and and had obviously said something about you know that goal because that was that was the that was the moment really, wasn't it, when you just knew that the, the, the Premier League title wasn't going to go to Anfield. But yeah, I think it, it is an interesting dynamic because they, you know they're clearly not pals, are they? You don't you know they're they're both so competitive, but great respect. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, but, I came away yeah. from the night thinking there is a wonderful. Relationship, even though they weren't friends, yeah. you know, very respectful of each other and, and each other's achievements. Yeah, oh, there's no doubt about that. You know, they both, you know, the, the reason why they're both at the absolute top of their profession is because they have that hunger and and will to win. So, you know, they're never going to be that close, are they? You know, it was only a couple of weeks ago that you had Guardiola labelling Sadio Mane a diver and Klopp having a little pop back about <laughs> tactical fouls and and all the rest of it. So, you know, and, and clearly, you know, this rivalry goes back to their time. Uh, in the Bundesliga as well together. So, yeah, but you're right, huge respect as well. I think, you know, they both spoke really, really well on stage. I thought Guardiola was quite funny, wasn't he? He said, you know, I think 
maybe we could just do a deal and swap. He said, you know, he said, I quite like the look of that trophy pointing at the Champions League. And he said, and I think Jürgen wants that one down the end pointing at the Premier League. And uh, Klopp came and joined us, didn't he, on our, on our table a bit later on. And he, he, he joked himself. He said, you know, I think Pep's onto something there. He said, maybe, maybe we could do some kind of deal. We'll just, we'll just agree that we'll, uh, we'll just divvy them up between us year by year. Because the great thing about the way it was set out, if you, if you looked at the stage front on, they had Liverpool's Champions League trophy on the left. And then, of course, they had Pep's collection of trophies <laughs> on the right. And um, that dynamic, looking at how it was set out, you, you're thinking to yourself, well, actually, I quite like the Champions League. <laughs> you know, but does, does Pep like all those? Um, and they were sat right next to all that. So it's absolutely in their eye line. <laughs> and it just creates a wonderful talking point. But there were some brilliant bits. when Before these guys came to the stage, uh, Ryan Lowe, was uh, was given an award for his work with Berry, and then Mickey Mellon was given something for uh, for his Tranmere work last season. And of course, within the Mickey Mellon video, there was a clip of Mike Dean, a referee, of course, <laughs> who most Premier League managers have had a connection with. And I think that broke the ice with uh, with Pep right. and Jurgen. That was yeah, the moment yeah. where they started having a serious <laughs> laugh with each other. So they probably have got something in common. <laughs> yeah. Mike Dean. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and to be fair, Klopp spoke really, wasn't he, about the achievements of all the other managers there. And mm. you know, he, he said, you know, I, I was aware of some of these guys and the work and they've achieved but he said, you know, not, not all of it. You know, you, you know, you had people there from like Fylde and and Salford, and you know, it made you realise, wow, just how much was achieved in the in the northwest in in terms of uh, you know, right through the football pyramid mm. last season. But um, yeah, I mean, Guardiola obviously got off, didn't he? Quite quite soon after, but uh, you know, Klopp was Klopp was still there. Well, deep he was there long the after evening, me. He? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he did. He did. I think he, he joked, didn't he, at the end of his speech that he said, you know, it. Is it a free bar? Is someone else picking the tab? To, he said because I've already had three bottles, so uh, I'll have he, to um... I'll have to pay if <laughs> if it's not. And then Pep came out with a fantastic line at the end of his speech. He said it's so hard to follow Klopp that smile, but at the end of his speech he said, and by the way, if anyone needs anything paying for, we're a rich club. We'll sort it out. <laughs> we? Just just two wonderful speakers. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you know you can understand just listening to them speak and you, 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 it gives you an insight into why they are where they are, isn't it? That, that ability mm. to absolutely get the best out of players and to get people to, to buy into it. Letting their hair down, if, if that is possibly the, yeah. the right phrase, on a, on a night, a Sunday night out. Right, let's get the perspective in, in terms of this title race uh, with the Athletics' Sam Lee. So, of course, uh, James, a dedicated Liverpool writer, and, and Sam is the, the man that covers off the city journey. Welcome along, Sam. Hello. Uh, great to have you on the show. And um, what, what would you have always expected in terms of that relationship between the two managers? I mean, have you ever had an insight into that yourself? The, the comparison I always use is Messi and Ronaldo. You know, they, they're not necessarily friends, but they, I don't think they're as big enemies as it's all built up to be. You know, you're, you're massive rivals, but they're not friends. Like, they're not rivals, but they've got that huge amount of respect for each other. And, you know, at the Champions League tour at the start of the season when Messi and Ronaldo sat next to each other and they had that, that nice little chat, that was quite heartwarming, wasn't it? Because you think, mm. actually, it's not quite as like toxic as it's built up to be. But obviously, you know, they want to outdo each other. They want to score more goals than the other. They want to win more trophies. And, yeah, perhaps the same. And you know, I know a lot of Liverpool fans have taken a lot of pleasure this season in saying, you know, Guardiola can't stop thinking about Liverpool or he's obsessed with Liverpool or whatever. But, you know, he's so intense and so driven and all of that that everyone knows. If anyone's top of the league and not his team, whether it's City, Bayern or Barcelona, or Barcelona B, he's going to be thinking about who is top and, you know, they're going to be giving him problems because he wants to win. They, you know, you wouldn't say either of them were a great loser, um, but there is that healthy respect for each other there. And 
And it is nice, like you kind of alluded to as well, you know, when it's not all built up to be a big rivalry, when they can't just speak freely and have a laugh, isn't it just much more enjoyable and much better, mm. you know, just more fun covering football when, when it's a bit like that, but obviously that's, that is very rare. Of course, it is. the back pages much prefer to uh, to maybe <laughs> create something a little bit different in terms of that environment. You mentioned being bad losers. That's that sometimes makes a good winner, doesn't it, James? Being, being a bad loser. Oh yeah, yeah. Jurgen exactly. Klopp a bad loser. Oh, definitely. And yeah. and, and, and that's the same with Guardiola. You know that that's you know when you had to see you know his antics on the touchline in the closing stages of that game at Anfield a few weeks ago because that, that's why they are where they are <laughs> because because they find defeat so difficult to stomach. And you know, both of them, you know, don't actually face it that often, do they? Because they've they've built two absolutely incredible teams, arguably the two best teams that the English football's ever seen. Yeah, their and expectation is that they don't lose, isn't it? Yeah, I, mean, I was talking about this with someone last night. It's it's just crazy how the whole landscape has changed. It used to be it doesn't seem that long ago where we used to talk about you know you can probably only afford to lose four games if you're going to win the league, you know, four or five, and and, and now suddenly we're in a situation where Liverpool. What lost once last season, it still wasn't good enough. You know, there's no way City would have got their points tally or Liverpool had got 97 points mm. without the other one. You know, they they that there is no room for manoeuvre and margin forever because these teams are operating at such a high level. I know City haven't been quite at that level so far this season, but you know full well that, that you know they've had issues with injuries and stuff. But they're still capable of going on a 14-15 match winning run that suddenly does does then crank up the pressure and. Of course, Leicester command respect with what they're doing at the moment, but these are these are two incredible teams. And going back to what we said before about respect, I think that was underlined by the fact that you know Guardiola, you know, speaking to Klopp in the dressing room in Madrid just after the Champions League final, the fact that Guardiola you know wanted to speak to Klopp and the fact that Klopp was was more than happy to speak to him amidst the celebrations, I think you know that says a lot. Um, but there is a connection, and, yeah, that and, connection. And there is a respect, yeah. In terms of Pep, Sam, he's he's in a position that's maybe a little bit unfamiliar to him that the catch up with the margin that currently exists the nine points is is that something that you you've spoken or you've heard him maybe um analyze how they deal with it city uh well i mean in fairness the way they deal with it is the way they deal with everything you know that's why they you know they play strong teams in the in the league cup and the fa cup and why they won three domestic trophies last year because they prepare for every game as if it's a huge one you know there's no games that they're saying it doesn't matter so much you know they they want to win. Obviously, they've not lost in the in the League Cup since. I guess it's going to be Guardiola's first season when they lost to United. And yeah, when you talk about the difficult periods for Guardiola, it's almost always at the start of his time at a club. Mm. Obviously, at City, it went on for the whole season. At Barcelona, it was a few games. At Bayern Munich, it was a few games. I think they kept winning anyway. But it was a bit like, oh, how do we deal with this counter attack? And then they they find a solution. They go from there, and there's not too many issues. Um, in fairness, in his last season at Barcelona, they were behind Madrid, and that, you know, not unravelled from there because there was a lot of other issues going on at Barcelona which contributed to it. So I think he has been behind, but yes, yeah, certainly at the moment, not comfortable ground, you would say. But but, but, but effectively, at this moment in time, Liverpool have dealt with what should be their toughest fixtures. If you I make that yeah. comparison with City, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's no, yeah, there's no question about that. I think that that was why it felt so significant when Liverpool beat City a couple of weeks back. Because then you looked at the fixtures coming up and you thought, mm. you know, Liverpool have now got quite a quite a kind run. They've emerged from a real tough schedule, you know, with with a very healthy lead at the top. And now, you know, City have got the the tougher fixtures. I I, I think what is going to be absolutely pivotal is how Liverpool handle, 
you know that December. I think this, I think December will decide the title race because I think if, if Liverpool come into the new year still anything from six to eight or nine points clear, that you know, I think City or anyone else will struggle to catch them. Mm. I think how, how does how how does the Club World Cup affect Liverpool? That's the thing because it's not ideal, you know, go, going over there for for a week with the travel and. That's huge, and I'm sure I'm sure from Man City's point of view, they're looking at that as that must give them hope. I think the fact that you know Liverpool have got that to to negotiate. Well, we saw a crucial insight, Sam, last night into terms of how managers maybe follow other other teams. So Jurgen was talking about the whole moment of watching Vincent Company's goal last <laughs> season, and he said yeah. he said my missus was at home. And she said, "Yeah, sit down and watch the telly." I put my hands in my pockets, but my heart was bursting out of my chest, and he said. When he scored that goal, he said, oh, yeah, you know, he, he scores those all season, doesn't he, in a sort of a, mock, a mocking way. But I, I think the managers live those football games the same way that the fans do. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, you know, no football ever likes to admit it, do they? Or, you know, Guardiola, there's a bit in a book that's just come out recently by a couple of colleagues, a couple of Catalan journalists. Um, and after, uh, sorry, after City lost to Newcastle in December and Liverpool played Leicester at home the next night, Guardiola went to the theatre with his family because they'd had the tickets for a while but he was saying you know normally he'd watch the game but he was at the cinema but him and his oldest son his oldest son's about 18 you know he goes to all the city games home and away you know they were, they were checking it was all the whole time the way it was put over in the book maybe a bit of artistic license but was basically at the end of the show kind of went alongside the end of the final whistle at Anfield and you know they said the Guardiola cheered like jumped up and like gave like a rousing reception for the show. But obviously, <laughs> inside he was he was cheering the fact that Liverpool had dropped points just the night after the City had. So yeah, so there's always those kind of things. But you know, like when a couple of years ago when United lost at home to, to West Brom to give City the title, Guardiola wasn't watching. Genuinely, I don't think he does he does watch the live ones that much. I think if he watches them, it's for you know analysis purposes at a later date. Um, but yeah, they, they definitely do. And you've got players hanging around it the training ground last season, you know, when Liverpool were playing that Newcastle game um, away just before City played uh, Leicester on the Monday night, you know, the, the players were in the, the dressing, uh, the training ground and they, they stayed behind to watch the game and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, they do do it and that's why, you know, it is, it is significant sometimes when, when a team plays before the rival because the players are watching or they're at least keeping up with what's going on. You know, if Liverpool keeps scoring late like they have done, it is a bit demoralising. Obviously, in the end, City put up with it because, you know, they've got great mental strength of their own but it is it is a factor, yeah. But it's interesting, actually, that James was saying he thinks that, you know, if, if Liverpool are still six or nine points, still clear after Christmas, they'll probably, well, not run away with it, but we'll go on to, you know, make make that count. I actually think if City are still within, you know, single-figure deficit by the end of the year, if they can start to get Laporte back, start to get Sane back, and if Sane doesn't leave in the January transfer window, they'll then start to look like a bit of a different team. They'll be more solid. They'll probably be more capable of going on one of those long winning runs. So I think what they need to do is those fixes I mentioned earlier, I think they need to stay in touch. And then if it's still nine points on New Year's Day or, you know, the 15th of January or even going into that winter break, I, I do think City will look a, a bit more impressive. But obviously, mm. that's why, yeah, these, these fixtures over Christmas are very crucial. That's what we like, a bit of fighting spirit from the City camp. <laughs> never never say die. Sam, I'm sure we'll catch up throughout the course of the season, but thank you very much for your time. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, guys. Cheers, Sam. Good man. That's uh, Sam Lee, of course, the Manchester City uh, correspondent for The Athletic. It's an interesting perspective on things. And the clubs are so similar in many ways in terms of their attention to detail and trying to eke out every single point or advantage. And, and one of those elements is the psychology 
of the football. And um, not to say you and Jurgen are sitting down every day together, but <laughs> but last week you did have a long one-to-one chat yeah. about his latest new addition behind the scenes at Melwood, which is a psychologist, a full-time psychologist, someone who hopefully will will eke out those marginal gains which all clubs are looking for. So uh, the sports psychologist involved is Lee Richardson. Yeah. Uh, why has Jurgen Klopp gone down this line? Do you know what? I think it, it ties in with... As you, you mentioned before about marginal gains, he sees Lee Richardson as as almost you know a, a kind of another section that sits alongside Mona Nemer, the head of nutrition that he that he brought in a couple of years ago. You know, you think of Thomas Granemark, the throw-in coach. I think, I think with with Klopp, and one thing I find fascinating is I think because of the type of personality he is and the charisma and the emotion and the, the and the passion we see on the touchline, I think quite often what people I think don't probably don't focus on enough is just that ridiculous attention to detail and trying to eke out just that extra 1% somewhere. And he sees this as as part of it. I think it's a very different dynamic with Lee Richardson than it was with Dr. Steve Peters, who was the, the sports psychologist at Liverpool worked with under Brendan Rodgers. And he was still there actually when Klopp came in in 2015. But I think with Steve Peters, he very much wanted to be central to everything and involved in everything. Mm. And with, with, with Lee Richardson, the way I understand it, is he's at Melwood for three days a week, but it's very much... It's there for players if they want it, but it's not, nothing's forced on anyone. It's just a service provided if you want. I think. Will he be there on match days? No, not, a... no, no. He's not. He's not involved on match days. To be honest, on match days, Klopp is Liverpool's psychologist. You know, he, and yeah, you can understand that. It probably yeah. gets into their head more than anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was to be honest. That was why you know, very, very fortunate to spend the best part of forty-five minutes with him in his his office at Melwood. And before I went down there, you're trying to think of. What can I do that's different? Because, you know, obviously managers do so much media, don't they? And see, and one thing that does fascinate me with Klopp is just that that remarkable ability to, to get the best out of people. And that habit of saying the right thing at the right time, there's been so, you know, I've, I've lost count of the number of times in mix zones or sit-down interviews with players where you know, they'll reference something that Klopp has said in a team meeting. And, you know, one of the most significant, I think, was, you know, before the second leg against Barcelona in the semi last season. When, when Klopp said to them, this should be impossible, overturning this deficit. It should be. He said, but because it's you lot, there's actually is a chance you could do this. And they and they said, they, you know, they left that room going, do you know what? Yeah, do you know what? He's, he's right. We could, you know, we could do this. And and it does fascinate me where that comes from. You know, he's, you know, he, he does pay a real close attention to that mental side of the game because at the highest level it is it is so, so key. <laughs> Look, this sounds like a love in our first episode of the Red Agenda for Jurgen Klopp, but I think it's the right time to do it. And even when he sat down on our table last night, you've got eight to 11 talkative, big character journalists. <laughs> they were immediately overshadowed. <laughs> they, they, they went into their shells and he dominated a conversation for 10 minutes amongst everyone. Yeah, yeah, and you can only presume that's the influence that he has within that dressing room as well. Yeah, and I think, I think you're, right. you're, you're sat there and you're just thinking, you know, he's just got an infectious personality, hasn't he? And I think mm. the fact that he came over, you know, sat by Margaret Aspinall from the Hillsborough Family Support Group, you know, spent what 10, 15 minutes chatting to her. You know, he's and he's a just, son, yeah, and lovely touch. Yeah, yeah, an absolute class act. And you know, I think the the one thing with Klopp. There's, you, know, you meet a lot of people in football who have got kind of one face for the cameras and, and a, almost like mm. a completely different person when, when the microphones are turned off. But, you know, what, what I think is so endearing about Klopp and the reason why he's so widely loved by Liverpool fans is the fact he is just so genuine. You know, and, and I always I always think back to 
before the 2016 Europa League final. You know, I think it was literally at the, 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 at the same time the club were putting out a statement on the website urging fans without tickets not to travel. Klopp in the press conference was saying, I hope we take 200,000 fans over there. Just you don't, you don't need a ticket, just come on over. And obviously you could see the head of press at Liverpool like head in his hand. It's like, oh my God. And then you know, subsequently he has to apologise. And, and of course it was something that we shouldn't have said. But it, again, that's that, that's the... That that's the kind of you know, but I'm how not even sure that's is. a PR it's, blunder, is it? That's it, yeah, but it, you know, that's just the way you know. As far as he was concerned, that was you know, yeah, just come on over, just have we'll just have, we'll have a big party and take over mm. Switzerland, and um, yeah, he's just when you see him in that kind of environment as well, you just it just makes you appreciate how how he's able to get everyone to buy into it. I think you even saw that in Madrid in the in the celebrations, even those players on the fringes that didn't really get they they all felt part of it, and that's. That's the magic of what he's created there. The fact that they they are they are all in it together. Yeah, a lot of football clubs that have players on the fringe. You tend to find or you tend to hear of sort of moaning or discontent among certain quarters if they're not involved. Yeah, you don't get that from Liverpool players no. like I don't know Jordan Shakiri at times last season when we thought why is he not playing? He wasn't moaning. Yeah, got yeah, his yeah. head down. Other players have, have have been in the same position, and and he seems to garner the support of players whether they are involved weekly or whether they're fringe players. Yeah, and I've, I've I've asked a few on the fringes of the squad, how is he able to keep everyone mm. on side when very, very few players at that level are happy to just, you know, to just pick up their money each week. They want to play, they're desperate to play mm. and but you know they they all say that the thing with Jurgen is he's very honest with them. You know, you speak to some players from previous re- regimes where, you know, they would feel like the manager was saying one thing to their face and one thing behind their back and they didn't really know where they stand. I think because Klopp is just up front and what you see is what you get. Everyone knows where they stand with him. You might not always like what he says. You might not you might not accept his decision in terms of but he'll tell you why you're not in the team and what you have to do to to get in it. You know, Andy Robertson in his first season, you know, that, that first half of the season when he he didn't get a look in, he went knocking on Klopp's door and Klopp, you know, said, Okay, you know, if you if you want to know, I'll tell you and, and laid out exactly, you know, this defensive side of your game's not good enough, this is what you need to work on. Go away and do it and you know, and prove to me that you, you can force your way in. And um, yeah, it was obviously being down at Crystal Palace last weekend and you know, Mamadou Sakho didn't even get on the bench for, for Palace down there. And it just made you realise that, you know, he was he's probably the only one who's managed to really rile Klopp in terms of, you know, the lack of, you know, showing a lack of discipline and, and breaking team rules, obviously, when he got sent home from the, the States. But, it's, you know, in terms of, there's been so few kind of disciplinary issues or anything like that during... During Klopp's time, because you know, but but it shows there is the line that he won't tolerate. Yeah, players going beyond. Yeah, and I think that well. was probably an important marker early because that was relatively early yeah. on in his reign, wasn't it? It was like, no, no, no. This, these are the standards, and you know, if if, if you want to li- if you want to live by them, then great, you've got a future here. And if you don't, you know, you can go and go somewhere else because this is the way that things are going to be. And I only want people here who are going to buy into that a hundred percent. Make your choices. Right, of course, he he is the reason Liverpool are where they are in terms of their success and growth in the past few years. But a couple of the players on the pitch have played major parts. It's the Red Agenda and it's on The Athletic Weekly with uh, James Pearce, uh, Simon Hughes and myself, Steve Hothersall. And we'll talk about another key character in just a moment or two. And that is Saudio Mane. Jacob. Scored the winner two years ago. He's up against Dude. Will he hand Liverpool the European Cup? Yes! 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 Yes!
penalty save. Don't forget, this podcast is one of 11 shows being launched by The Athletic this week. Amongst those is uh, the Ornstein and Chapman show, where Mark Chapman and David Ornstein delve deep into uh, some of football's biggest stories. To hear that and many more, go to theathletic.com now and subscribe with a 40% discount using the code UKPOD. Right, let's have a look at Liverpool's... Um goal-scoring hero of 2019. You'd have, to, you'd have to say he's the hero, most done OK, but Saudi Omane has um, has taken the bit between his teeth and has, seems to have taken things to the next level. I don't know whether that's because of uh, his competitive nature with with Salah or, or whatever, but let's talk, him with a, let's talk with a goal-scoring legend in John Aldridge, who perhaps will have a perspective on this. Welcome to the show, John. Hi, Steve. Hi, James. Hi, yeah. Um, yeah, what's your thoughts on on why Saudi Omani has taken it to the next level in terms of his, his goals. He, he seems to grab most opportunities now. I think it's experience. The older you get, you know, you get better, you get wiser. It certainly happened with me. You know, the, the, the older I got, the, the more goals I, I scored. Um, perhaps that is one of the reasons you, you do get better. You peak at a certain age. He's still, he's still yet to peak, in my estimation, even though he's not far away from it. But certainly, I, I think, you know, a little bit of nice rivalry which, with Mo Salah, you know, has, has benefited him as well because, you know, when you know about the, the golden boot, you know, and, and, and you get it, you want more. And that's certainly, when, when I got my first one with Oxford, I wanted more. I wanted one with Liverpool. I got it. You know, I want to come back and try me. I want to be, you know, you've got that desire, that hunger. Without being overly greedy, I have to say, which he's not, you know, he still lays other people in when, when he's... You know, they're in a better position. So, yeah, I think, you know, it's a mixture of a couple of things. What should we make of the, the competition or the competitive nature between him and Mo Salah, James? I think that it brings out the best in each other. I think mm. John will know himself from his playing days. There's nothing wrong with a bit of healthy rivalry between teammates. I think, you know, it, you know, it was out of character, obviously, what we saw from Sadio at Burnley earlier on in the season. Um, because he is a very quiet, softly spoken, humble guy. But... You know, you, you you don't get to the level he's at unless you're incredibly hungry and driven to succeed. And I think you know that that was that was why he lost his rag that day. I think the biggest thing for me with with Sadio Mane is it again goes back to what we were talking about earlier in, in the head, the self belief side of things. Because I think he used to beat himself up when he you know you think about the the chance he missed against Everton a few years back and. You know, Klopp said himself that affected him for not just weeks but months afterwards because he, you know, he he felt as if he'd let people down. And it, even on on the weekend at Selhurst Park, he missed a big chance about sixty seconds before he actually scored. And I think where previously he'd have still been beating himself up over that miss, now he's able to just think, do you know what? I'll just take the next one that comes along because you know I'm, you know, I, I don't need to doubt myself. And you know, I think Klopp described him recently as the com- complete package and a player who radiates joy. And I think you, you do see that in his football. I think there's a strong case to be made that he's become Liverpool's most indispensable player. That's 29 goals for the club over the course of 2019. You know, nine more than, than Salah, who's, who's second in that list. Would you, would you go with that, John? Yeah, 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 exactly right, yeah. It's a manager's dream, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, you know, if you're looking for, for someone to pop up in these times and get you the winner, you know, as he did against Villa in particular... You know, when you need it, he, he, he does it, he, he comes to the market. And you've got to miss him to score him. Mm. You know, you've, got, you've got to miss the chances to score the chances. And, and don't be dismayed when you, when you miss him. You've just got to keep on getting into the, into the areas, you know, a bit pig-headed. You know, it's horrible when you miss chances, take it from me. But you, you, you've got to try and not let it, you know, harm you. You know, harm your confidence. He's been fundamental in, in what people are calling clock time now. Obviously, the, the, this Liverpool 
winning games late. So whether it be at Aston Villa, of course, provided the assist for, for Andy Robertson and scored himself late on, or whether it be against Leicester, it's almost like his energy is there to carry Liverpool right over the line at the end, John. Were you always sort of taught fight till the, oh, yeah. the very end? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Never give up. You know, sometimes it's hard when you're like a couple of three goals down, but you still, you still mm. try, and, try and do what you, you're supposed to do. You know, and one goal leads to another. And, and on some games in your career, you can turn it around in the last, last 10 minutes. You know, I've done, done it 2-0 down and 1-3-2. You know, it's the first time it happens to in Newport County at Bolton. Liverpool seem to be doing it on a regular basis at the moment, James. I don't know where that's come from, and we don't particularly care <laughs> if it's scruffy, but somehow they found the mentality to, to consistently get over the line when needed. Yeah, and you know that is an absolute key facet in any successful team, isn't it? It's, it's, it's about winning those games when, when you're not at your best, and it used to be the case, certainly in the first couple of years of Klopp's reign, that... You know, we had some great days under Klopp, but Liverpool had to play well to win. Now, now they have this ability to to grind it out, and I think you know that comes from having you know match winners in Sadio Mane and Salah and Firmino that that can just turn a game with one piece of inspiration. But just also, also this just kind of resolute belief in what they're doing that you know, they don't panic. You know, you think about you know Crystal Palace away on the back of the international break. You know, I think Klopp only had the squad back together on the Thursday. They're travelling down to London on the Friday. For 45 minutes, Liverpool were very poor, but you never sensed there was any panic because this team is so used to winning that they just and then they believe in it. They believe in the you know the the game plan. They believe in Klopp. They believe in each other. That they just you know they just keep going and going. And even you know even when Zaha scored on the weekend, it wasn't. I don't think it was a great surprise to anyone that Liverpool then went straight down the other end and scored. It does remind me of Ferguson's United. Just that sense of inevitability that that they will they will find a way. When you've got it, use it. A final thought from you, John. You mentioned the golden boot. Of course, you won it yourself with Liverpool. Um, is sharing it is is that a little bit, little bit tougher as Mane had to do with with Salah and Aubameyang? Do you want to win it outright? You want to win it outright. Don't get me wrong. You know because you know a little bit greedy, but it's it, as long as you get one, it's in your cabinet. It states that you top goal scorer. It doesn't doesn't really matter. It's, it's getting it, but it's nice to be be the the D one. He's got a little bit of catch up to do, but you know, I, I think with with, uh, with Manny, he's he's one that you'd expect to to, to be be rivaling the top goal scorers more so than Mo this season. You know, so hopefully he can he can like he did last year. He, you know, the, the, as the season went on, he, he got more prolific. So let's hope that happens again. It benefits everyone. Uh, John Aldridge, thank you very much for your time. Uh, there you go. That's uh, John Aldridge on the Red Agenda, the Athletics exclusive Liverpool podcast. Uh, the Athletics dedicated writers James Pearce and Simon Hughes and myself, Steve Hothersall, will bring you reaction, analysis, and in-depth insight weekly into Liverpool Football Club. 
we were planning to do our team of the decade today, but we got carried away on the, the Jurgen Klopp loving and goals <laughs> scored by the Reds as well. Just give us a rundown on, on some of the features you've written so far on The Athletic that you, you found sort of compelling yourself in terms of diving into, James. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been been brilliant so far. I must admit, you know, it's, it's, it's very different to my, my previous job where it was, you know, sometimes producing five or six stories every day you know with the athletic it's probably three or four a week but it gives you a much greater license to do things in in more detail mm. and uh and 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 just you know longer longer reads i think you know one i was particularly proud of was you know i was lucky enough to spend an hour or two with trent alexander arnold in a uh, in a restaurant in the city center and you know i'd picked kind of 15 images kind of telling the story of his you know uh, journey to to the top and you know and just talk through the images with him and think that's that's one piece that had a, some nice feedback on that and people haven't read that p- point you to that and uh obviously the clop the clop sit down last week was you know an absolute privilege to to be there and do it and I really enjoyed putting that together and then yeah from the weekend I did a piece focusing kind of solely on uh, on Sadio Mane and then I'm doing a I'm doing a column today actually kind of Again, kind of triggered by going down to Palace on the weekend, where you know you see Sacco that was I think I think Sacco was what twenty six million Liverpool sold him for not getting on Palace's bench. You got Benteke only coming off the bench, who, who cost kind of thirty odd million. Um, you, know, you chuck in the fees that Liverpool have had for players like Solanke and Ings and Jordan Ibe and Brad Smith and Kevin Stewart, and uh, you know I think that's a very underappreciated factor in where Liverpool are now. The fact that you know, people people jump on the fact you know well, Van Dyke was seventy five million, you know Allison was sixty five million. They've paid big money, but they've also got back an incredible amount of money. And when you, you know, that's why the the net spend is only where it is, which you know I think it's about eighty odd million under Klopp. Which, you know, when you, when you think of what you know what the the way in which that squad has been transformed, um, you know Liverpool have bought very well, but you know you could argue they've they've sold even better. So many brilliant things we can touch on in the coming weeks. Hope you'll join us uh, for this weekly podcast, uh, The Red Agenda, as long as we can get Simon Hughes back from uh, from Egypt in time <laughs> for next week. I'm sure he will join us uh, round the table to discuss the comings and goings at Liverpool Football Club. So one more shout for it, The Red Agenda on The Athletic. And of course, there are 11 different shows being launched by The Athletic this week. And if you want to hear uh, either us or the Ornstein and Chapman show where they discuss the Premier League en masse, uh, please go to theathletic.com and subscribe with a 40% discount using the code UKPOD.